about the pastoral team. We would love to minister. We would love to pray for you. For those of you who are here, if you need to connect with us, please feel free to use this connections card. Uh, once again, put your name on it. But if you have a prayer request or a praise, love to read them, and we'd love to get back to you. For those of you at home, give us a call. Email us. Text us. We'd love to hear from you as well. We do want to pray. Now, before I get into my announcements, I just uh, give you a shout-out to the women's ministry. Uh, yeah. You don't know why I'm clapping. All right? All right? Friday night, almost 70 women showed up for the simulcast. I heard it was a fantastic evening. Thank you. Well done. By the way, if you missed the simulcast, you can still hear it. See Courtney Charest, and she will give you all the details. Now... As you all know, this is the holiday week, right? Thanksgiving is uh, Thursday. But most importantly, it's Saturday when we decorate the church. It's Christmas time, all right? So if you would love to come up here this coming Saturday from uh, 10 to 3, we would love to have you. We need your help. Um, Rick and Carol Rogers, they lead the decorating committee. They do a fantastic job. They really, really do. And they can use your help. As a matter of fact, let me brag on the Rogers a little bit. They'll be up here Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. And they've been here already, absolutely. Uh, if you want to help them uh, Monday, Tuesday, or Friday, you can come up at 10. But more importantly, Saturday, we can really use your help. Because you know what? Next Sunday, this place will look spectacular. Also, as we head into this holiday season, it's an opportunity, and we have opportunities to give. And that's something we really want to do. You all are a generous church. We are generous church. God has blessed us. I want to share a couple of opportunities. Number one, Angel Tree. This is a ministry we have done for many, many years. Uh, there are a number of children who, whose parents are incarcerated. We want to come and minister to them. If you would like to be a part of that, you can pick up an angel. Matter of fact, you can pick up an angel this, uh, after this service. Just see Courtney's Charest out in the foyer. And we have a number of angels uh, this Sunday. And we'll have more next Sunday. It's an amazing ministry. Also, did you know that Mindy Roberts, a member of this church, is on the board of our place, Waldorf, which is our local soup kitchen, folks, they're in dire need. I'm telling you right now, there are people in the Waldorf area who are hungry. And they're just not hungry during the Christmas season, okay? They're hungry all the time. We want to minister. Matter of fact, we kind of want to adopt um, that ministry if we can. If you would like to help our place, we'll have some information out in the Grace Connect this week. But this is what we need. Always could use, they could always use money. Uh, um, Go bags, you know, food items. But also they're looking for people who will actually make a meal. Actually make a meal. If you can uh, participate in any way, could be a great life group thing you can do or, or a family thing to do. Um, give our place uh, a call. We'll have that number for you uh, in the Grace Connect. And trust me, we will be blessed. It's a great, great ministry. And finally, does the worship center look a little different today? Yeah, we're making some changes, and that's uh, part of our Moving Forward campaign. We really want to enhance our worship. So you see the monitors, you see the crying room, you see the uh, um, sound booth. We're just making uh, a lot of changes. It's exciting. A couple of weeks, this stuff will be um, working. 
hopefully. Uh, you know, that's, 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 our, that's our prayer. But I want to thank you first and foremost. This is a capital campaign, and our prayer was let's raise $75,000, not just for the worship center, but we want to redo the restrooms to my left. We want to redo the uh, carpet to my right. And so far, you all have pledged over $40,000. So thank you very, very much. And you can see that we've received almost $18,000. Folks, this is during COVID. I just want to say, I, I know I speak for Pastor Bruno. Thank you. Your generosity is amazing, and we really, really appreciate you and appreciate your generosity. Let's pray. Let's thank our Lord. All right? Father God, we come before you this morning as you've commanded us uh, to share our petitions and prayers with you. And Lord, quite frankly, we are in many ways a poor and needy people, but we know that through faith in you, faith in Christ Jesus, we lack nothing. You have given us everything. Most importantly, Father God, you've given us your son, and, and, and we have the Savior, and for that we are so thankful. And Father, that is why we come together. That is why we pray. That is why we worship. Oh, Lord, because you are worthy of all our prayers. This morning we pray that this service would truly, truly bring great, great glory to you. Father, I also recognize that this is a very difficult season. We have people in our church who are hurting. Uh, some are just hurting spiritually, emotionally, and some physically. And Father, I, I just, in my heart, I just want to lift up Levi Metz to you this morning, uh, the grandson of Mike and Janice Metz. I, I pray, Lord, that you would heal this young man from his cancer. But Lord, as, as, as they move forward, I pray that you'd give the family wisdom as they move forward. Lord, if it's not your will to heal him, I pray that you just give peace over the family and that you would just continue to strengthen Levi during this season. But we lift him up and we lift up his entire family to you. Pray for all those uh, recovering from surgery and many are getting ready to go into surgery. We know that you care. We know that you love us. You are a good, good father. And we thank you and praise you for that. And we thank you and we praise you for our under-shepherd, Pastor Bruna. I pray that you'd continue to lead him, to uh, speak through him. And this morning, Lord, continue to speak through him. And may his words resonate within our hearts. I pray that you would sustain him. I pray that you would encourage him. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint his lips as he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. You're good. You're really good. And we thank you and praise you. And we commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Would you stand with us?
of giving thanks to our God. Amen? It's all throughout the scriptures we know, but give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 107.1. Give thanks to the Lord, church, for he is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? He and his steadfast endures forever. Let us shout that from the rooftops, especially what a week to do that, Thanksgiving. We give thanks to the Lord, for he is good to us. Church, his grace is enough for us.
in our preparation. We've run that song several times now in the past several days. And that guitar playing, just love it. All to the glory of God, amen? All to the glory of God. Um, I'm wearing a shirt that um, some of you now recognize after the past couple weeks, but it says yes and amen. And the scripture that it comes from, 1 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20, and it says all the promises, we just ask God to remember his promise, amen? All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus promises of God to you and I, the redeemed in Christ, are yes and amen. And the only reason that is true is because of the story of Christ on the earth and his path from birth, which we'll celebrate here in a couple weeks, to his death on Calvary and three days later when he rose from the grave. Amen. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Christ Jesus.
love endures forever. Give thanks. You may be seated. about that song. All right, okay, all right. I was about to say, hey, yo, give me a cannoli and a pizza and keep the change, you filthy animal. All right, okay, here. Now, we got to have some fun this morning because everybody's so down and out. I thought we'd just have some fun and do a little fun with some money. Okay, all right. So we've been talking about money. And uh, a lot of people, what they do so often is that they think that money is something that is evil in and of itself. But we recognize that it depends. As Christians, we know that money can be used in different ways. Now, in a church setting, I would say, hey, guys, you know what? This money is free. Come and get it. First one, just come and get it. Y'all be like, nah, I don't want to do that because everybody's going to think that I'm, I like money. But if we were in a hall hanging out and I just threw some money, and these are $100 bills, how many of you would jump up out of your seat and say, hey, kid, hey, kid, make sure you get the one with the two zeros after that, okay? Make sure you get the $100 bills. Don't go for the tens of the ones. That guy is crazy. So the whole idea is that we get so excited about 
money. But we have to understand, why are we so excited about it? It's just a shade of green, and it's paper. But it revolves, and it's, it's the center of our lives. And so often what we do is we're stuck in it. We just think that this money is what keeps us secure, gives us happiness, gives us a sense of that, you know what, I'm going to have some social status and reputation. People are going to like me because I have money. But is that really the case? I mean, when is enough enough? Remember the song? I can't get no satisfaction. Remember that song? We would always think about how often, when are we going to get satisfaction? When is enough enough? I mean, when is it with money? Because every time we make 100, we want to make 200. And if we make 200, we make 500. We make 500, we want 1,000. And then the numbers are unlimited as how far we want to go. But what are we going to do? You think about, like, why are people, just a question, why do we get excited about money? When you think about the lottery, people have just a piece of paper and they're scratching numbers. And they're hoping that they will get the numbers that will equal up to millions and millions of dollars for a jackpot. But you often hear in that many of the stories that come from people winning the lottery end up in utter chaos. I mean, it damages their lives. I, I read a couple of them this week, and I saw a couple married for 14 years, were happy, were secure in their marriage, didn't argue often, really were happy. One, I think somewhere around $31 million dollars within two or three years, they were divorced. And the husband started looking for another woman. Because money can never buy you happiness. There was another guy who already was a millionaire, made more millions, and lost all those millions, and began to lose part of the millions that he had. And he even had his own brother come after him and place a hit on him. I mean, the stories you hear or a Pentecostal pastor that was working at Home Depot, made millions of dollars, didn't know how to manage it, gave some of it away, lost his marriage and committed suicide. Now, that's, that's what I'm saying. We get so caught up in money. We get so excited thinking it'll set us free. Well, it actually does the opposite. It seems like more often than not. And so as we understand, we have to look at the word money and wonder, does it have an, an intrinsic essence of evil? Or is it possible that we would not look at it negatively and more in a positive light and see where the scripture takes us there? So Facebook Live, as you have joined us, just come and follow along with us as to just to just discuss this. So can we associate godliness with money? That seems like an oxymoron. Can you put God and money together? Because even in Matthew, it says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. So can you associate godliness with money? And I hope that we can do that today by looking at a familiar passage. But we're going to stop here for just a minute because we have to look at the background of the passage that we're going to be looking at, and that's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm actually going to need you to use your Bibles today, so keep your Bible close to you. 
you have it on your phone, or if you actually have the book itself, feel free to just look along with us. But I just want to read 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it's verses 3 and following through 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for the quarrels about words which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Very important phrases there. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain or profit. And let me just start here. First of all, you have to understand Paul was writing to Timothy, the one whom he was mentoring, to the church of Ephesus as Timothy was located there. And he had false teachers all around him. And what Paul was talking about, about the form of godliness that was around him, was not the godliness in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, understand what he's talking about in verse 3 is that there's a different doctrine. It's a doctrine that's compared to that which the church would hold to, the apostles' teaching of the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ is the center. It's Christocentric. He's the center, and the teaching has to always accord or agree with godliness. Now, understandably so, when we're looking at this passage in the background of this passage right here in chapter 6, we have to understand that Paul's talking to Timothy about a couple of things here. So let me start with this. He's saying, Timothy, there's a false doctrine that's here. Be careful. These are people who are misleading other people who claim to be Christians. Now, what they're misleading them with is a form of godliness it's a form of intellectualism, piety. It's asceticism, which means that I withdraw from evil in order to gain godliness. So I'll stop doing evil, and therefore I will gain godliness. But that's not the case, because we are sinners. And as though we will not stop sinning, even as Christians, God is there to offer his son. So when we confess sin, he is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the false doctrine was this. It's a dualism. It was a form of Gnosticism that said this, that said that spirit is good and evil, the matter, human form, is evil. Therefore, Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, could not be God because he was of man. But he's the God-man. He's 100% God, 100% man. He's deity. He's God incarnate. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So here he's trying to say that he watch out for the false doctrine of these people who will continue to say that they have a form of godliness, but not the true godliness. In fact, look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 16. You'll have to turn to that. I hope to come to you soon. This is the premise of the book. This is the premise, the theme of the book of 1 Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave, it's a key word, behave, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. Here it is now. He was manifested in the flesh, 
vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and take up in glory, taken up in glory. So the whole idea is that that is the premise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ. And so Paul is highlighting, saying, this is how you should behave, Christians. And he's calling out the false teachers and how they're behaving. So you have the false doctrine that he's come against and refuted. He's also, too, refuting fraudulent behavior. Fraudulent behavior. Now look in verse 4, back in 1 Timothy 6, verse 4. It says, he is puffed up with conceit and understanding nothing. Let me just share this with you. Puffed up with conceit. Watch this now in the Greek. It's perfect passive. And this means it's a permanent behavior, permanent state and condition. These false teachers were permanently puffed up and conceited. You know the word in Greek means blinded, foolish, mentally ill. So if you find someone who's arrogant, guess what? They could be mentally ill. Could be narcissism. It could be some kind of condition that is so focused on themselves they can't get out of it because they're grinded and they're grinded into it. They're just they're sitting in it and they can't get out. And this God has made it clear through writing through Paul that these are the types of people that cannot get out. And then he goes on without knowledge or ignorance. So when someone's shooting off thinking they know it all, they really don't know it all. <laughs> in other words, these false teachers really didn't know it because why? They were missing the true godliness. They had a form of godliness. And that's what's concerning is when you see a form of the truth or a form of godliness that can mislead you and manipulate you to believe it's true godliness. That's why true godliness is only established in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why no matter what we say, no matter what we do, no matter what difficult time we're in, no matter how difficult it is to live in the midst of COVID, no matter how difficult it is to be in an election where it's never ending, no matter how struggling you're going, or what the struggle you're going through, or how difficult it is, you and I need to know as Christians that we stand upon the truth of the word of God through the, through the glory of God, through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we continue to hold on. We don't veer from it, amen? And so as we continue to realize is that when we think we can be puffed up or when we think we can be conceited or when we think we can be envious or jealousy starts to come in or we're jealous and we're prideful, God is saying, return back to the gospel and be reminded that you need to be set free from your sin, even in sanctification. And so he's holding on, and he's saying these people don't know. Number three, he's saying this. It's unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Meaning these guys are sitting there and debating over the smallest little words, and what they're saying is, look at me, follow me, whatever I say you must do. And if you don't, then you're not living in the righteousness that you should be living in. And so they're trying to lead people by saying, I am going to be a tyrant, and you got to do exactly what I say. And so he's calling them out because it's unhealthy. What is healthy is sound doctrine that leads to a sound mind, that leads to sound living. But this is unhealthy. It's not sober. And the desire, the craving is enticing because you're looking to the well of self. You're drawing from a well that's dry instead of drawing from the living waters that's always abundant and there for you to draw from. And when you have the living waters... 
you can never stop drawing from him, even when you and I are making mistakes. Even when we're struggling, even when we're not sure, even when we feel as though, God, why would you even deal with me? God is saying, wait a minute, son, wait a minute, daughter, I love you. I want intimacy with you. Come to me, those who are heavy laden and burning, and I will give you rest. God is the one who offers the well of living waters that will give you rest. But if we keep drawing from the, the resource of self, thinking we can figure it out, we're really speaking without knowledge. Because we need to draw on the living water. It's not how well we attain things in our lives. It's how great God is to get us through the most difficult times in our lives. And it's through those times that you find yourself drawing closer to him every day. That's intimacy. Now, this third thing here in this this spot here is financial motives. Because now in verse 5, he goes on and he's, he's triggering it with the financial motives. He's saying, in constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Well, here's what it is. Depraved in mind is in the perfect passive again. Saying they're in a permanent state. Means that to cause to become morally corrupt. They are morally corrupt. They're misleading, manipulative. They're they're misleading people to believe in that form of godliness. But while they're doing that, they're saying thank you. Thank you, and thank you. And they're just getting money. And what they're doing is they're gaining money by talking, and people are putting money into a bucket, and they're receiving it. They're not giving it to a church or a people of God. They're giving it, and they're pocketing it, and they're putting it in their pocket, and they're saying, you know what? Hey, I just made me some money, and it was fraudulent. It was a financial motive of corruptness. And what they were doing was they were gaining, and so they were gaining. Now, deprived of the truth, perfect passive, to cause another to suffer loss by taking away through dishonest means. Rob, steal, defraud, that's what they were doing. They were using their form of a truth, they were using the form of truth, of godly truth, mysticism even, and intellectualism, and they were drawing people in and depriving them of the true essence of Christ. And he says, imagining godliness is a means of gain. I mean, they were sarcastic and pushing it aside like, yeah, really? Godliness? That's not going to make me this kind of money. Godliness is not going to keep giving me the $100 bills. I'm just keep, just keep giving me the money. And they'll keep pocketing the money. And see, that's where there's no accountability because they don't have the truth. Truth sets accountability. For the people of God. 1 Timothy 3 3 says, Elders are not to be lovers of money. See, the leadership in the church are not to be lovers of money. T- Titus 1 7, it says, He must not be arrogant, quick tempered, or drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. And he also mentions it in, in chapter 1 verse 11 in Titus. See, money is not ungodly, but loving money or defrauding others for money or withholding money leads to what? Greediness. And that's why we have to understand these men, these men, these leaders, they were greedy. They were pocketing the money. So what happened was their doctrine led to their fraudulent behavior, which led to then financial motives, which was defrauding everyone. And that's what the pattern was for the false teacher. God's given us a different pattern. See, saying money is, money's not the problem, but you could put godliness and money together. 
Because God's given us a different approach. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into the idea of greed. There are pitfalls there that we have to be careful of. But what does it mean to be greedy? Well, let me just share a couple of things here. A frugal person can be prudent and careful. But that frugal person can also lean towards stinginess. Uh, my father was a very frugal, careful, prudent person. He saved his money. Um, didn't make much, but saved his money. He'd have his jar. I told you before, he'd have his coins, and he would always charge me a quarter for uh, a stamp. And I remember back then when it was a quarter, and now, I don't know, it's 50 cents or something like that. I don't even pay attention. But the whole idea is that years ago, I'd have to give him the quarter. I'm like, I'm going to post office. I'm not paying you. So the whole idea is that it's, it's, he wanted his money because he wanted to save all. Now, you can say he was prudent and he was careful, but he was leaning towards greediness. Now, I'm not putting my father out there to be too greedy because he was a wise man when he was here on earth. But what happens is it can be a form of greediness. Also, on the opposite end, you could be a free spender. You could be extravagant. You could have no limits. This person has no limits. This person has no spreadsheets. This person has no budget. This person believes in the means of just investing in materialistic gain for self only. So that money, every time they see the green, they're just saying, you know what? Hey, you know what? This is for me. This isn't for anybody else. And so forget about being stingy. I'm just going to keep spending the money for myself and counting it. All of that to say that it's for extravagant spending. So either way can be selfish and greedy. And greediness derives from that. It just, it comes that idea that we're selfish, we're focusing. We can't focus on godliness because it's a form of godliness. So how do we avoid it? How do we avoid these pitfalls of greed? as Christians. Because you might say, hey, you know what? I- I'm not that, like that false teacher. I don't think I'm that greedy. I mean, I hold some money, but I'm careful and prudent. I would never do that. And I agree with you. I bet you don't. I, I wouldn't compare you to, say, a false teacher. But we have to be careful, though, as Christians, that we don't fall into this, that we don't fall for it. We have to avoid these pitfalls for greed because it can happen to any one of us. So I'm just going to give you a couple of things here as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 11. Number one is this. Christ's sufficiency is what we need to truly be satisfied with, not currency. Not currency. So we have to avoid the pitfalls of greed by being satisfied with Christ's sufficiency. Now let's just look here at chapter 6 in 1 Timothy verse 6. Timothy said this, or Paul said this to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. Now you got to look at this first part of this passage here, this verse. Because in the Greek, what we see is that the word gain is at the beginning of a sentence. And it's as is it's at the beginning of the sentence, that's the emphasis. That's where Paul is trying to emphasize that the gain is what's important here. Now, when we think about money as Christians, we think we shouldn't think about money. Money should not even be something we should talk about. But we need to because it could be of great gain for God. And let me show you what I mean by this. If godliness means awesome respect accorded to God, devoutness, and piety, then what it means is right thinking with right motives leads to right behaviors. 
When one is devout and one is pursuing godliness, honoring God, honoring his son, desiring to be holy, desiring to walk in sanctification, then our right thinking, our right motives will lead to right behavior. And so the idea of godliness, but it's got to be with contentment. And here's the contentment. It says the state of being content in one's own circumstances, self-sufficiency. That's actually what the word means. And so when you're looking at it, you're saying, okay, what is Paul trying to say here? Well, this was actually a virtue, one of the favorite virtues for Stoics philosophy, to find self-sufficiency in one's own circumstance. So you would ask the question, then is Paul saying that we should find sufficiency in ourselves? No. He's flipping it. He's saying you need to find your sufficiency in Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is that your contentment needs to be in Jesus. It doesn't need to be in yourself. You don't draw from the well of self. You draw from the well, the living waters of which godliness comes from through his son. And so when you're drawing from the well, then your sufficiency is in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4:11 through 13. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He found his sufficiency in Christ, not in the well of self. And that's important for us to understand that satisfaction must be found in Christ. We don't look to money to satisfy us. We don't look to money for security. We don't look to money for status. We don't look to money for happiness. Look at this other verse that he wrote in 1 Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, for while bodily training is of some value, benefit, profit, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, this is how we should live. We can't really live for the here and now because what happens? Because then all of a sudden now, money, 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 we, start, we just start sitting there and looking at it and just studying it and saying, wow. And you get so excited about it because you start to say, the here and the now, what can I get? I got this extra $300. If you guys could come up here and grab all this money, if one person could come and get it, what would you do with that money? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Word association. Money, car. Money, boat. Money, clothes, money, shoes, money, purses, right, ladies? Anything that you can to buy. So when you buy it, you say, it's me, 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 and you grab onto it. But God is saying, no, I want you to live for the now and forever package. See, the now and forever package means I'm going to save my money for retirement so I can enjoy a little bit of my life here on earth if I believe God's called me here to that time. For my children and my grandchildren so I can hand something off as an inheritance. And then a little bit for myself if there's any left over. But the forever is the investment in the gospel. That's when you give. That's when you give. You say, Lord, here it is. Like I said a couple weeks ago when Pastor Dennis was talking about. First priority, you give to the Lord. And you walk away. Because that's the forever package. And that's what we want to invest in. That's what we want to know, that it's for this present life and for the life to come. Because with godliness, money comes following it. When we pursue godliness, that's what God's saying we need to do. 
So we want to be in Christ's sufficiency, not focused on the currency. And that's godliness. Number two, we want to, we want to make sure that we avoid the pitfalls of greed by being satisfied with necessity, not prosperity. Necessity, not prosperity. If you look at verse 8 of, Tim, of, 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 six, of 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, it says this. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. See, these are necessities of life. In fact, the future passive is giving the idea that we will be content with the necessities. Because when you and I are focused on godliness, we will be content with the necessities. You know, every night, I've said this to you guys before, every night when we, when we pray for our food, the first thing I pray, my kids hear that, God, thank you for this roof over our head, clothes on our back, and food on our table. We know it's a gift from you, and we are thankful for that. Because we don't want to put our minds on what else can we get. Whenever we're focused on the, le- the, the things that we want to get and then we think we don't have enough, when what we're saying, I still don't have enough, look at my house, I could do more, I could get this, I can get that. God's saying you're not grateful for the things that are necessary. In fact, what God's saying is be grateful for your needs. Don't look to your wants. Because too often, God will give you some of your wants. I'm, you know, I've looked at my life, my wife and I, we've looked at our financial records, and we're like, we're not going to be able to do anything in our lives. There's, there's no chance I'm going to even get a house. And from the very beginning, when we were married, we didn't know what we would, what we would ever become of or what was, was going to happen to us, but we didn't focus on that. We just kept on giving. We said, Lord, what do you want to do with our money? It's your money. Because it's not our money. Can't take it with us. Paul made it clear. See, in in a democracy, I can say this is my money, but in a theocracy, it's all his, right? If we're under a theocratic government, then it doesn't really matter because if you and I are claimed to be a Christian and we have godliness, and if you and I want to say that I want to be godly, then money follows suit. And so what we are understanding is that God has called us to a theocracy. That means he heads the ship. He tells us what to do. It's all his, it's not ours. So we say, God, what do you want to do with your money? See, when we have that focus, when we, then we don't, we're not going to look to be satisfied because we're always going to be satisfied in Jesus. And then we'll be satisfied with the necessities. We won't look to prosperity because, see, greed takes away our ability to give. Lori Lowland, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, I've been struggling. I had to look it up just to see how to pronounce it properly. She's a very, she was a very famous actor and actress who was involved, obviously, on the show Full House, for all those who love Full House, Fuller House on Netflix, and then did many shows on Hallmark Channel and one of her own shows, very popular, very well-known. And, of course, her husband, Mossimo Giannulli, which was also probably popular because of her, they were among 50 individuals charged by the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office for fraud and bribery-related offenses on March 12, 2019. In a nationwide college entrance exam cheating scandal, the indictment against the couple alleged, disguised as a donation, They had paid $500,000 to a key worldwide foundation so that the admissions committee of University of Southern California, USC, 
would believe their two daughters would join the women's rowing team, although neither had trained in the sport of rowing nor had plans in doing so. She was sentenced to two, uh, two months in prison and paying a fine of $150,000, while her husband is serving five months and paying $250,000 in fines. How can you and I describe this scandal? I think we can describe it in one word, greed. They were interested in advancing their children in a defraud scandal so that their children can slip through, not considering all the parents that had to work hard to get their children through to college so they can get a degree and move on and to make something of themselves. They cheat and they defraud and they bribe and there's a scandal all for the sake of reputation. And now I can assure you, she'll have two years, he will have two years of supervision. Her life is over. She's not going to be hired again because of a character issue. And that's what ends up happening. She wanted prosperity instead of being grateful for necessity. I mean, all she had to do was just keep doing what she was doing. She was famous. She was well-known. Everybody loved her. I mean, come on. She's Aunt Becky. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? It's like everybody, all the young guys are like, Aunt Becky, wow. You know what I'm saying? Like all of that. But you know what? All for the sake of reputation, she gave it up. And it's important for us to understand, even Ecclesiastes 5.15 says this, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Can't take anything with you. You can't take this money with you. But you can use it for God's glory. And when you give, and you give to the local church or other causes for a Christian perspective, for a Christian cause, it's being used for the kingdom of God. Third, the thing we need to do is we need to avoid the pitfalls of greed by being satisfied with loving the master. Not money. Not money. Now, here's a, an important part of the passage here that we're looking at right now. This is important as we're looking at 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, and it says this. But those who desire to be rich in temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, let's just look back here at verse 9. It says, rich falling into temptation. Here's what's happening. Whenever we pursue for riches, we're falling into a temptation. What are the temptations? The peer pressure of keeping up with others. Those who are wealthy and prosperous, your rich friends with the new material things, cars and boats and homes and jewelries and purses and clothes and toys. How many remember that show, The uh, Rich and Famous, you know, when they were just showing what all these people were buying? My wife and I used to watch it years ago, and we're like, oh, my gosh, what did she spend for that purse? I mean, that purse had to be, I don't know, $50,000, $100,000 with diamonds on it. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I could take that money and pay for my kid's college. I'd just pluck off the diamonds and sell them. I mean, come on. Who cares about the purse? Why would you spend all that kind of money? I mean, I don't even have that kind of money to put a down payment on a house, and you're going to spend that on a, on a purse? But here's what happens. Someone buys a boat for $8 million. The next rich person has to buy it for $10 million. Then the other one turns in the $8 million one and buys one for $12 million. And then so on and so on. And you can't keep up. The temptation is I just want to keep on spending. Keep on with the money. 
See, if I become rich, what they say is, people will like me. I will be popular. I will be a hero to those who are in need. I will get the attention I've always wanted. I will be the center of the crowd. My spouse will adore me. People think that if I could just be rich, that I'll grow in security and social status and recognition and power and influence and get into all the places that I've always wanted to be possible and the freedom to pay all my bills and work less and do whatever you want. Never worry about being in need, comfortable and convenient. But here's the thing. This very thing that we put our hope in, our trust in, because we struggle with that. We all do. We have bills. We wish we had more money. Wish I had more money. Wish I had more money. I don't know what I would do with it, but I wish I had more money. We think this sets us free. Watch what, watch what Paul says here. Watch. Watch this phrase right here. He goes in and he says, into a snare. You know what that means? That which causes one to be suddenly endangered or unexpectedly brought under a control of hostile force. Do you know the very thing that we think will set us free actually will put us under a hostile force? It will trap us. Because what we want to do is we think this will set us free and give us all these pleasures. When actually looking and pursuing finances and riches will do the opposite. And Paul's telling that to Timothy, watch out for the danger and deception of it. The love of money is coming. It doesn't set you free. In fact, he goes on to say this. He, it plunges people into ruin and destruction. The word plunge means to go, it's like a boat sinking in deeper and deeper in the ocean. Just as we pursue riches, we go deeper and deeper into ruin and destruction. We think it's setting us free when actually it's doing the opposite. That's why we have to be careful not to just to fall into that, that temptation or the pitfalls of it. Because we easily, although we're not rich or we don't have a lot of money, we could still hold on to that. That's why Paul was saying the root, that which is underground, the love of money is the root, a root of all kinds of evil. It's to be socially, the word evil means to be socially, morally shameful and disgraceful. Contrary to godliness. And so he's saying that, don't hold on to this. Years ago when we were in seminary, we didn't have much money. I was happy to make $30,000. When my wife was home, she'd work some. But we owned a home, and it was scary at times. We didn't know if we were going to have food. Every week, every month, I'd say, Lord, please put food on our table. And he was faithful. He put food on our table. But I would worry and be consumed with it and be concerned. I'd see the bills, and I would, if, the, if a bill came in, my wife knew because I was in the office just kind of getting frustrated. <laughs> but I was sitting there and battled with it, and then I had a devotion. And it sat me down and said, do you know that the love of money is not for only rich people? It could be for those who don't have it. Because we were worried and paralyzed with fear and consumed, thinking that we could be set free if we just had more money. And I'll tell you, I've seen money before Christ. I used to call and carry cash, wads of cash like this when I was a car salesman. I used to pay for two or three suits with cash, although I had a credit card. I just pulled out a lot of money. I would walk around and I had that, but it didn't give me happiness. In fact, it led to my testimony in Christ because it doesn't give you happiness or joy. It's important for us to understand that the love of money never draws that. God's called us to love him, not money. Even in 2 Timothy, 
Paul warned of the latter days. He says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, mentally ill, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He's calling us to be lovers of God. That's godliness. And money's not evil, but the love of money is. And if we are pursuing godliness, money will follow suit in the right way. Because right thinking with right motives leads to right behaviors. Now, I'm excited to share with you a video of a person in our church, a young person who is um, a a young married woman who's been taught to give, and she wanted to share a testimony of the importance of giving and the importance of money in her life and the life of her husband. And so I just want to share that with you right now. Her name's Kate Brown. My name is Caitlin Brown. I've been going to Grace my whole life. Tithing is really just giving back to what God has already given you. Um, I definitely felt that throughout my entire life. It was never my money to begin with, it was his. I started tithing at a young age because I saw my parents every Sunday, you know, they would fill out their offertory check or just fill out their information and I would watch them put it in the plate and I would ask them, you know, what what is this for and they explained to me, you know, this is them giving back and so it was something that I grew up with and something that I saw and I definitely wanted to do it myself. You know, when you're young, you don't really well, at least I didn't stress as much on tithing I just gave because I thought that was something I needed to do. Now, I would say with, you know, navigating this new part of adulthood, being married, having different bills, people ask me why. I, my faith convicts me to tithe because I want others to experience the love and how much God has blessed our family in the way that he has at this time in my life. Being married... That is a new, totally new area that my husband and I are starting to, you know, figure out and walk through together and walk with the Lord and understanding that money is going to be tight. Money is a stress sometimes, but, you know, having that faith and knowing that he will always provide and knowing at the end of the day he's given us that so we should want that. It's no longer I have to give, it's I want to give because I know that he's going to bless us twofold. I would say tithing is an important commitment in my life, especially now, even when times get stressful and even when you're tight on money, knowing that your tithes could go towards, you know, helping the church bring more people in and share the gospel or, you know, helping missionaries overseas bring more people to Christ, that's worth every penny to me. The one thing I would tell you if you were unsure about tithing is I've been there. I understand, but after tithing and after seeing how much God has blessed me and the feeling and the relationship that I have with him, it's like no other, and I I want to continue tithing, and every single time that I feel a little hesitant, like, oh, I can skip this month, I don't, I should just pick up next month, I always go to the scripture and I read and I let God speak to me through that and tell me, hey, you know, tithing, you know, is important, it is making a difference, and our relationship becomes stronger. You know, what I really love about her story is that she highlights a couple of things. She says, it's not about that I have to, but I want to. 
She goes, the money goes to ministry, missions, and leading people to Christ. She goes, I understand after giving and then being blessed by God. She goes, and when I hesitate, did you catch her? She goes, there are times when I hesitate, wondering, should I take a month off? She goes, no. She turns to the scriptures and reads them and is reminded that she needs to trust the Lord, even through difficult times. And I just want to encourage you. That is the heart of a believer who's pursuing godliness and righteousness. It's all in the same. When we pursue holiness and righteousness, we realize that isn't so important. See, when we're satisfied with God, when we find satisfaction in God, our giving will follow suit. It truly will. It's a, it's a, when you're, you are pursuing righteousness, it's character that comes before giving. Because when you're falling in love with God and realizing what he's done for you, you can do nothing but give. I know I'm a recipient of that, and I've seen God work and continue to work, and it's, it's not a normal, it's not like a natural thing for me, it's something I love to do. I love to give, because I know it's going to help the gospel. It's not because I'm a pastor. Joy and I have been doing it for years, and it's important for us to sense that nudging. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 11, he goes on, but as for you, O man of God, Flee these things, these things, the lover of, lover of money, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. That's the important thing. And then he goes on to tell the young people in 2 Timothy, he says, so flee your youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's what he's calling to do. Just got one quick little story here. Bruce Wilkinson, from his book, You Were Born for This, was teaching about the importance of hearing from God, the nudging of God. Well, he was, uh, he and his son were in Johannesburg, South Africa. He was there speaking um, to some people and was having uh, a situation where after um, the engagement, he and his son ran back to the hotel, to the restaurant, because they just needed to get ice cream before the night was out. And so they go to this restaurant, and they sit down, and the waitress comes up, and he goes, do you guys have any ice cream? She goes, well, we're closing, not sure. He goes, oh, she goes, I can get you coffee. He goes, okay, well, we'll take the coffee, but please try to find some ice cream. So they were looking for some ice cream, and as the woman walked away, she, Bruce was sensing something from the Lord. And what he was sensing was, we're not here just to get ice cream. God's telling us something about this woman. And he goes, son, did, did you, are you hearing anything from God? He goes, yeah, dad, I'm feeling the same way. So she goes, she gets, um, she's going to get the ice cream, and he starts to sense a nudging from God, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to give her a tip, a very big tip. So he kind of thought and said, okay, and he had just gone to the bank and had a roll of rand, a big roll of money. What's rand is the currency for South Africa. And so he had a big amount of money in his pocket, and the Lord said, you are to give that to her. So he was obedient. He said, okay, I'll do that, Lord. And as she came back, they had the ice cream, and then she came to give the check, and he took the money and put it in her apron. And she walked away, and he said, Lord, what are you doing? I mean, usually in this kind of context, if I put money in her apron, you, she's supposed to do some favors for me. So, Lord, what are you doing here? He wasn't sure. He was concerned that she might have taken it the wrong way. So three minutes later, she comes back, and she goes, 
do you know Jesus? And Bruce goes, yes. She goes, I knew it. She goes, I took the money out. She goes, I was just this morning, my landlord called me and said, I need to get out of my apartment because I couldn't pay for the rent. And my daughter and I were ready to leave and I prayed, oh God, oh God, please send us this morning. She goes, I prayed this afternoon and here I am late into the evening and God has provided the money. And she goes, I pulled it out and counted. She goes, exactly what I needed down to the rand to pay the rent. Here he was hearing a nudging from God and he obeyed because he didn't sit there and question and saying, uh, well, Lord, like uh, this is a lot of money and uh, Lord, you know what? I really worked hard for it and he just said, yes, Lord. And here was a move of God, a nudging, a hearing, a living faith that says, I'm about godliness. I'm not about the lover of money. You and I, we need to have that nudge. We need to believe that godliness will bring us to that place. God has called us to use money for his glory, not for our glory, for self-gain, for his gain. See, godliness is gain when it's with contentment. You'll find satisfaction in it, and you don't need to find it in money. So if you're looking for satisfaction, don't look for it in money. Look for it in Jesus. Then the money will follow. I want to encourage you that 10%. You're not giving. I want to encourage you, trust God for the 10%. I guarantee you won't miss a beat. In fact, I believe he'll bless you beyond that. So trust him for it. If you're part of this church and you call this church your home, you need to be giving. I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you in love, you need to be giving a 10% to start. I want to challenge you. It's a challenge. It's not a mandate. It's a challenge. But God is calling for a mandate. That's a command from God, and I want to encourage you to do so to take that 10% and believe God that he can meet that need. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you've called us to give because it's not our money. In a theocracy, it's not our money. We could make claims in a democracy that it is, in our Western American individualistic mindset. But today, Lord, we pray that you would truly nudge on our hearts about the importance to give because we're commanded to do so. And I believe cheerfully. So, Lord, challenge all of us here in this room and beyond in Facebook to trust you to give. And, Lord, as we trust you and we will see you work in advance, we're going to thank you in advance for the lives that you're going to change. Thank you for Kate Brown sharing how she gives now, not because she has to, but because she wants to. And, Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to believe you even when it seems like it's not possible. God, we pray for your hand in our lives. Challenge Grace Church to give for your honor and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God